With Hashem's assistance, we are learning about Metziah Daftal at page 4. So we're going to begin in the middle of a piece. We're continuing from where we left off yesterday. So let's give a little bit of a background to what we said in the previous daf, and we'll continue from there. So the case that we were discussing was as follows. Ruvain comes and claims that Shimon owes him $100. Shimon says, I don't owe you anything. Two witnesses come and say that, no, in fact, we know that Shimon owes at least $50 back to Ruvain. So now, Shimon has to pay the $50, and in regards to the rest of the claim, the other $50, so if he wants to not have to pay that amount of money, so he has to swear that he doesn't owe the rest of the money. At the end of the Gemara yesterday, so we said that this concept is learned out from two different cases. One is a single witness, and two is a person's own admission. Because each of those different cases, we find that there's an obligation for the person to swear in order to not have to pay. And despite the fact that each of those two cases has a difference, has perhaps a stringency that's not comparable to two witnesses, we still will be able to cancel out the differences by showing that those differences do not apply in the other case. Meaning, we said that in regards to where a person admits. So he admits the part of the claim, and the rest he has to swear about if he doesn't want to pay. He has to swear that he doesn't owe the rest of that amount. We said, but perhaps it's different, because when a person admits, he can never be contradicted, which is not so in regards to two witnesses. Theoretically, if another two witnesses come along and contradict the first set of witnesses, they can be contradicted. So maybe only in the case where a person admits, he has much more of a power to create obligation. So maybe only in that case can he cause himself to swear, but not two witnesses. So that's why we bring the case of a single witness, because a single witness can be contradicted. And nevertheless, he can create an obligation to swear. So we see that that's not a significant factor. So then we ask, in regards to a single witness, how can we prove anything from that case? Because a single witness, in regards to the swear that he's causing this person to have to swear, so the swear is in regards to what the single witness is talking about. The single witness is claiming that this person owes $100. Now the person is denying, he's swearing that he doesn't owe that $100. Whereas in regards to the two witnesses, the swear is a completely different swear. The two witnesses are saying that he owes $50. And then the person has to swear that he doesn't owe the other money that wasn't being mentioned by the two witnesses, the rest of the claim. So how can we prove anything from there? To that we come back to the other case, to the case where a person is admitting. And there we see that he's swearing in regards to something which is not what he's admitting about. So the bottom line is that we see from these two cases, from a single witness and from a person's own admission, we see that there's a claim against somebody, there's a kfir, a denial about some part of it or all of it, and we see that there's an obligation to swear. So just like in those two cases, the obligation to swear comes about because of another party, so too, in regards to two witnesses, there will also be an obligation to swear based on the claim that's being strengthened, at least in part, by these two witnesses. Now the Gemara challenges our entire premise, which is that we learn now from a single witness plus a person's own admission to a case of two witnesses. The Gemara says, How can you learn it out from those two cases? Those two cases share something that doesn't exist by two witnesses. That in regards to where you have a person admitting himself, or a single witness saying about this person that his denial is not true. So in neither of those two cases is he being called a liar because of his denial. Even though a single witness is saying that he's lying, however, it doesn't prove for a fact that he's a lying denier. 
But if two witnesses come along and they say that part of his denial is not true, so now he's a liar. So how can we believe him to swear? Maybe we wouldn't be able to create that swear in regards to the two witnesses. So Gemara says, hold on a second. Is it even true? Your premise is actually false. says in the name of If let's say somebody denies that he owes money, Ruven comes to Shimon and says, Shimon, you owe me $100. Shimon says, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't owe you any money. So a person who denies, and then subsequently, two witnesses come and say, no, he does owe that $100, so he doesn't lose his validity as a witness, meaning that the Torah says that you're not allowed to use a rasha, an evil person, to testify in court. So now when this person denies, and he's found out that it's not true, that he really does owe the money, is he called someone evil? So we see that he's not called someone evil, and he's still allowed to testify in court. And the explanation is, as Rashi says, because a person who denies it, it's clear that he's not saying it because he doesn't intend to pay him in the end. We can very well see that perhaps he just doesn't have the money right now to pay, and he's pushing the guy off, and he intends to pay him in the end. So therefore, even though the two witnesses have shown that his denial is not true, nevertheless, we don't consider him to be evil, and therefore he could testify, let's say, in a different case. So in our case as well, when you have two witnesses coming and saying that this person's denial is not true, at least in part, so that will not invalidate him from swearing about the rest of the money. So therefore, you can't say that that's the difference between the case of a single witness and a person admitting on his own, and the two witnesses' cases, because all three of these cases, even if the person is testified against and his denial seems to be not true, all three of the cases, that doesn't create the fact that he's a liar. The Bryce ends up by saying, However, in a case where, let's say, a person is denying the fact that he has an object, that it was, he was supposed to watch for someone else, then two witnesses come and say that, no, he does indeed have that object. In such a case, there's no claim, there's no excuse why he wouldn't be ready to give back that object. It's not like money that I've borrowed that I don't have right now. If someone gave you an object to watch, you better have it and you better be ready to give it back. If you're denying that you have it, so that shows that you're trying to steal it. So such a person would not be permitted to testify in a court because he would be considered Russia an evil person. Rather, we can ask a different question. How can you learn out from a single witness and a person's own admission? They both share a similarity that's not true in regards to two witnesses. Both a single witness and a person's own admission, so they're not included in the concept of hazama. I'll explain it very soon. Which is not true in regards to two witnesses, that they are included in the concept of hazama. What's hazama? So the concept of hazama is as follows. You have two witnesses coming and saying that Reuven, let's say, owes money to Shim. And now, these two witnesses, so they say that when did this occur, it occurred on such and such a day in such and such a place. Now, two other witnesses come, and they say, those two witnesses, I don't know about what they're saying. It could be what they're saying is true as far as we know. But they couldn't have been there on that day at that time because they were with us in a different place. So that's a case where their person is being contradicted. In such a case, there's a special chiddush, a novelty of the Torah, and that is that the two witnesses who attempted to cause Reuven to have to pay Shimon, so they now have to pay the same amount to the person that they attempted to cause him to pay. Now this concept only applies to two witnesses. It doesn't apply to a single witness, and it also doesn't apply to a person who's admitting it himself, obviously. So from the fact that we see that there's a weakness to two witnesses, that they can be contradicted in such a way, and they would have an obligation to pay in such a case, perhaps they don't have the ability, the power, to cause someone to swear. So the Gemara says, Holy Kasha. This is actually not a question. Rabbi Chia Tayrus Hazama Leporach. Because Rabbi Chia, who said the original Kavachomer, who said the original logical derivation, he holds that you can't ask from Torah Hazama from this type of question. And Rashi explains that the reason is because even though it's true that if you have a single witness who attempts to cause somebody to have to pay someone else, and the single witness, his person is contradicted, so he's not going to have to pay the person that he attempted to cause. So despite that fact, but 
the fact that his person is contradicted will be enough to take away the obligation that he's causing. Meaning, when a single witness comes along and says that this person, he owes $100 to the other person. So, the single witness causes that person to swear if he wants to get out of paying. And now when he's contradicted to his person, the swear will no longer be necessary to be done. So the bottom line is that we see according to Rabbi Chia that there's not a significant difference between two witnesses who are being contradicted, that their testimony is invalid when they're contradicted to their person, and a single witness who also, when he's contradicted to his person, his testimony is invalid as well. So therefore you can in fact learn out from a single witness and from a person's own admission to a case where you have two witnesses that there will also be an obligation to swear. Now the Gemara challenges a different point in Rabbi Chia's statement. This study said that we have a proof. We have to go back and remember what we said yesterday in, in the previous daf. So Rabbi Chia had said that in the case of two witnesses, where you have two witnesses saying that the person who's claiming is at least 50% correct, the person claimed, Ruven claimed against Shimon, that Shimon owes him $100. Two witnesses say that indeed he owes him at least $50. So now we said that in regards to the rest of the money, if Shimon doesn't want to pay, he has to swear that he doesn't owe that money. This is what we proved. And Rabbi Chia proved it in two different ways. First was in the Kalva Chomer, this logical derivation that we mentioned previously. And second of all, he said we also actually see it in our Mishnah. What was the case in our Mishnah? We have two people that are holding on to a talus, a garment. Ruvain and Shimon. Ruvain is claiming this garment is completely his. And he's holding on to half of it. Shimon is claiming no, it's not completely yours, it's completely mine. So now, let's look at it from that vantage point. So Ruvain is saying it's completely his, and the facts on the ground testify to the fact that he indeed owns half. It's like where we have two witnesses coming and saying that he owns half. Why? Because he's holding on to that 50%. And we see that Shimon, so despite the fact that he's making a claim on all of it, since we see that 50% of it for sure is in the hands of Ruvain, the person who's claiming against him, so he has to swear in order to be able to retain the other half. So we said that's exactly the same as our case of two witnesses. So the Gemara says, hold on, me dummy, how is that comparable at all? Hasam, in that case where you have two witnesses, literally, lemalve islay sahade. So the person who lent the money, who's claiming that this person owes me money. So he has two witnesses that are at least in part supporting his claim. But the person who borrowed the money, so he doesn't have any witnesses that are supporting his claim that he doesn't know anything more. Because if he would have witnesses to say that he doesn't know any more money, Rabbi Chi would not require him to swear. It's only because he doesn't have any witnesses and he has no way to get out of paying what seems to be that he owes the rest of this money. So therefore, in order to get out of it, he has to swear. But if he would have witnesses, he wouldn't have to do that. In our case of the garment, just like we have witnesses, quote unquote, we have the facts on the ground, Baha'i, in regards to the first person that he's holding on to it, the other person also has the facts on the ground testifying to the fact that he owns half of it. And despite the fact that the facts on the ground testify for him, he still has to swear. So therefore, these two cases are completely incomparable. And when we have information in front of us, facts on the ground, it does not parallel precisely when you have two witnesses. So the Gemara says, Eliki itmar vitonatuna. When did we say that we're bringing the Mishnah as a proof to a statement of Rabbi Chia? Not on this statement of Rabbi Chia. Aidich the Rabbi Chia itmar. It was actually stated in regards to a different statement of Rabbi Chia. The Amr Rabbi Chia, because Rabbi Chia says elsewhere, Manali biyadcha. Let's say you have someone, Ruven, claiming that Shimon owes him $100. Vahala zuz. Shimon responds and says, I don't owe you $100, I have $50 that you lent to me, v'heilach, and take them as they are. Rashi explains the case is, where Shimon is saying, I haven't even touched them, the money never entered into my possession, the money is yours, even where it is. 
So, chayv, there's an obligation to swear. Now, as far as why would you think otherwise, we need to understand what is the novelty here. So, we need to know two facts. The first is like this. When do I have an obligation to swear? Only when I admit to part of the claim. If, let's say, I completely deny the claim, and there's no one else saying that I owe any part of the claim, so I don't have to swear, and I don't have to pay, because it's one person's word against another person's word. Now, in this case, Ruvain claims against Shimon that he owes him $100. Shimon says, there was only $50, and that money is still yours. I didn't even touch it. So really what he's saying is, is that there was no loan here at all, because the money never entered into my possession. I never borrowed the money. It's still in your possession. Those $50 are still yours. So really, the only claim that there is here from Ruvain to Shimon is about the second half of the money, the $50. And in regards to the second half of the money, so Shimon is completely denying that he owes that money at all. So one could say that it's considered a kofarbakol, complete denial, and therefore there wouldn't be any obligation to swear at all. So Rabbi Chia says, no, don't think that. My time, what's the reason? Because we don't view it that way, but rather we say that when a person says, take the money as is, I didn't even touch it, it's still considered like he's admitting to part of the claim. And therefore, you will indeed have to swear about the rest of the money. Vitanatuna. And we also find from our Mishnah, it seems to indicate that this is true. Shnaim Echizim Betalis. You have two different people that are holding on to a garment. Vahahacha. In this case, Kevin de Tafis, each one of them is holding on to it. Anan Sahade. The facts on the ground testify that my de Tafis, Heilechu. That the part that he's holding on to, it's as if the other party is saying, take that part. That part is yours. Even though he's not saying that, he's denying it. But the facts on the ground, as it were, create a scenario where it's as if he said that. And what do we see? We see that we make him swear. Even though the party swearing about is not in question because the other party is not holding on to it at all. The Rav Sheshesh actually argues on Rabbi Chir. He says as follows, Helech, when the response is, take the 50 zoos, I only borrowed 50, I never touched them, take them as is. Potter, there's not going to be an obligation to swear on the rest of the claim. My time, what's the reason? Since he said to him, take the money, the ones that he's admitting about, it's as if the person who lent the money has them in his hands already. But in And as far as the other 50, he's not admitting to that at all. It's like a kofar bakol, like he completely denied. Therefore, there's no admission to part of his claim. It's like the only thing that's being claimed about is the second half of the money. The original part of the money, it's like he never borrowed it. And therefore, he's completely denying that second half of the money. Therefore, there's no swear. What does he do with our Mishnah? Our Mishnah's indication was that we don't consider it like that. We do, in fact, make him swear. We do consider it that the part that's in the claimant's hands is considered part of the picture. We do consider that he's admitted to part of it. And therefore, we do make him swear. So how does he understand that? So Rav Sheshesh will respond as follows. Actually, there's no obligation to swear. However, the fact that we make you swear in the case of our Mishnah is just an institution of the sages for a separate reason. Perhaps as Rabbi Yechanan said on Dav Gimel, and what about Rabbi Chia? Well, he say, it seems to be that it's a Takanas Chacham, it seems to be instituted by the sages. In Takanas Chacham, true, it is indeed instituted by the sages. However, if we would find in a case where from the Torah, which is the case of the two people, one claims against the other one that he owes him $100, the other person says, there's $50, take it as is, the money is yours, it's never considered that I borrowed. If in that case we say that he has to swear on the other part, meaning from the Torah, it's obligated, so in our case, which is only loosely comparable to that case, it's not the same exact thing. But since we have a precedent where we have a swear in another case which is somewhat similar, so the sages would create a swear in our case as well. But if in fact it's true, like you Rav Sheshes are saying, that there's no obligation to swear about the rest in that case, would the sages have created a swear in our case if there's no precedent for that from the Torah? No, they wouldn't have. Now there are challenges. Meisve, I'll ask you a question. We turn to Daftal Adam Abayz, page 4b. Slime dinarin, 
Let's say we have a document that doesn't specify exactly how much money was lent. It just says dollars. Ruvain lent Shimon dollars. Malva Amachamish. The person who lent the money says, I lent five dollars. Vileva Amashalish. And the person who borrowed, he's saying, I only borrowed three dollars. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Aimer, Rabbi Shimon Elazar says, Hail Vahoide makes us hataina, since he admitted to part of the claim, Yishava. So he has to swear. Rabbi Yekiva, Rabbi Yekiva says, In regards to the third dollar, let's say, so he's considered like someone who's returning a lost object, and there's no obligation. What does that mean? So Rashi explains that as far as what the document says, it says dollars. So the minimum amount of money that we could be talking about, and seeing as they didn't specify how much money, we can assume that only two dollars were lent. Now when this person says, indeed, I borrowed not just two, I borrowed three, so he's admitting in a certain sense to part of the claim. So now, Rabbi Shimon Elazar holds that because he admitted to part of it beyond what we would have thought if we just read the document, so therefore he has to swear about the rest of the claim. However, Rabbi Akiva holds that no, that extra dollar that he's admitting to is like a Mesha Aveda. When someone returns a lost object, let's say you find a wallet, and you return the wallet to someone, and the person who says, this is very nice that you returned my wallet, but originally there was $50 in this wallet, now there's only 100 So we never require the person who's returning a lost object to swear about the rest of the claim. So now Rabbi Kiva holds that this is comparable to a person who's returning something which is a lost object. Because he didn't have to say anything. It could have just said two, and then it would have lined up with exactly what it says in the document. And therefore, he wouldn't have had to swear. So in this case as well, he does not have to swear. Now the Gemara says, Kotani mihas. In any event, what does it say here? Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Aimer, Hoyl Vahoyde makes us a Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar holds that since he admitted to part of the claim, beyond the two, he admitted to the third dollar, so he has to swear about the rest of the claim. Time of Shalish. Now the indication is it's only because he said three. Hashtaim Potter. If he said two, if he admitted to what it says in the document, so then there would be no obligation to swear. And this document that we could call it, even if he admitted, he's not really admitting the document. Itself causes him to admit Helechu. So it's similar to a case where the guy says to him, Take your money as is, which was the case that we were discussing. And we can deduce from here that where you say to him, Take your money as is, and therefore there's no discussion about this money itself, but rather there's only the second part of the claim, so there's no obligation to swear about the rest. Not like Rabbi Chia, it sounds exactly like Rabbi Sheshes. The one says, No, really, I'll tell you, that in a case where he only admitted to two, he would also have an obligation to swear about the rest. So why did it say a case of three, if it's also true in regards to a case of two? So it's coming to exclude the statement of Rabbi Kiva, the Amar, Meshav Aveda, Havi Upater. Because he says that the extra third one, which is considered like a Meshav Aveda, like he's returning a lost object, because it's not written into the document, that he holds that in such a case there's no obligation. So that's why Rabbi Shimon Lazar is coming to say that no, that case also is considered like he's admitting to part of the claim, and therefore there will be an obligation for him to swear if he wants to not have to pay the rest of the claim. So Gemara says, hold on a second. If so, Rabbi Shimon Lazar Aimer. This said Rabbi Shimon Lazar says, "Hoyil v'hoyde makes us a tiny yeshova." Since he admitted to part of the claim, so he has to swear. Avze yeshova miboyle. He shouldn't say yes to swear. He should say even in such a case he has to swear. And that would indicate that both in case where he's claiming three and two, both of those cases would involve a swear. Skmar says, really it's true that if you would claim two, there would be no obligation to swear about the rest. But in a case of Helech, like Rabbi Chia said, there would be an obligation to swear about the rest of the money, even though he's giving him the part of the money that he's admitting to right away. It's different over here, the Torah. Because over here when he says only two, so his claim is very strong. Even though the first person is saying, you owe me five. And he's saying, I owe you two. So that's what the document really says. So the claim 
claim of the person who's saying there's a greater amount does not engender an obligation to have to swear about the amount that's being denied. Inami, another possible distinction that we can make between three and two, because a document, by definition, if it says in it that there's an obligation to pay someone else, so it creates an obligation on the person who owes the money to give him even a piece of land if that's necessary in order to pay off the loan. That being the case, so Rashi explains that when it comes to kviras shibut karkois, when it comes to denying that one owes something and it involves a piece of land, so the Gemara in Shavuos learns out that you can never have an obligation to swear in regards to a of land. So explains Rashi, just like you can't swear in regards to having an obligation to pay a piece of land, you also can't be forced to swear if you've admitted to something which is written into a document which obligates you to have to pay a piece of land. So when you say that I admit to two, which is written into the document, so that's a hoda, an admission on something that obligates you to have to pay a piece of land. So that can create an obligation to swear in regards to the part that you're denying. But where you admit to three, so that third dollar is not written into the document. So you're also admitting to something that doesn't involve an obligation to pay from your land, that being the case, you would have to swear on the part that you're denying. Look at the mice of Misefa. There were those who actually asked the question from the second part of the Raisa. What was that part? Rabbi Kiva, and Rabbi Kiva says, That a person who claims that he only owes three out of the five that was being claimed against him, so he's considered, since he didn't have to say that third one, because the document says two, so it's considered like he's returning a lost object, there's no obligation to have to swear about the rest. Just like a person who's returning a lost object does not have to swear about the part that he's denying. It's only because he said three, but the indication would be if he said only two, there would be an obligation to swear about the rest. Because in such a case, it would not be similar to a case where a person is returning a lost object. You have a document that's creating the admission. So that's considered like Halech. It's considered like a case where you said to him, take your stuff as is. And therefore, really, there should be no discussion as far as the money that's being given back. And nevertheless, what do we see? We see that there's an obligation to swear about the rest. So we can deduce, like Rabbi Chia said, not like Rabbi Sheshis. And that is that there's an obligation to swear about the rest in such a case. Where it says, no. I'll tell you, then in a case where he claimed only two, that's all he has an obligation to pay. So he does not have to swear in that case as well. So why does it say three? It's coming to exclude what Rabbi Shimon Ben-Alazar says. Because he says that in such a case, that even in a case of three, it's considered that he's admitted to part of the claim, and there's an obligation to swear on the rest. That's why Rabbi Kiv is coming to speak specifically about that case. That he's considered like someone who's returning a lost object, there's no obligation to swear about the rest. It actually makes sense to say this way. Because if there would be an obligation when the person claims I only owe two to swear about the rest, how could a Bikiva say that there's no obligation in the case of three? We're opening up the possibility that people will do a trick. Sover he'll say like this. If I say that I only owe two, but I'm gonna to have to swear about the rest. So I'll say three, the that I'll be considered like a person who's returning a lost object, V Potter. Then I won't have to swear about the rest. So it's clear from that, that even in the case of two, there's also an obligation. So it comes out that it's actually a question on Rabbi because Rabbi says that in the case of Halech, where he's giving him part of the claim, the part that he's admitting to, so he still has to swear about the rest. And Rabbi Kiva here is saying that you don't have to swear about the rest. So he'll say like this, Shani Hasim, it's different over there, the Kamasayah because in that case of the document, so the document itself is proving his statement, meaning the claim of the person who is saying that he owes him more money is not very strong, it's not enough to create a swear, because the claim of the person who's denying it is being supported by the document itself. So therefore there will be no obligation to swear on the rest. 
This is like we said before. That another possibility is that since a document, when you have two written into the document, right, it doesn't say exactly how many, as we, as we said before. It only says dollars. So the minimum amount of dollars is two. So since the amount of dollars that he's admitting to is only two, and that's the amount that's written into the document, so when he admits to something which is written into a document which creates an obligation to pay from one's property, so in such a case, it cannot create a swear since it involves property on the part that he's denying. Whereas in the case of Rabbi Chia, so there's no such way out. And therefore, in the case of Rabbi Chia, he will indeed have to swear about the rest, the part that he is denying. Master Marzutra, Breder of Nachman. Marzutra, the son of Rav Nachman, asks the following question. Ta'an and Kalim Let's say the claim is made by Ruvain. And he says that Shimon, he's borrowed my, my lawnmower, my utensil. And he also borrowed a piece of land. And Shimon says, no, I'm sorry, I only borrowed your lawnmower, your utensil, but I did not borrow your piece of land. Is another case, let's say he admits that he borrowed a piece of land, the cover became, but he denies the fact that he borrowed the utensil, the lawnmower. Potter. So both of these cases, since they involve a piece of land, there's no obligation to swear in such a case. Even though he's admitted to part of it, he doesn't swear about the part that he's denying. If he admits the part of the lands that he indeed borrowed part of those lands, he also does not swear in regards to the rest that he's denying. Mixes Kalim, however, if he admitted to part of the utensils that he borrowed, then he has an obligation to swear in regards to the other utensils that he's denying. Taimed the Kalim Vikarkois. Now let's look at the case where you have utensils and a piece of land, and we see that there's no obligation to swear. What's the reason why? Because whenever you have a case of a piece of land, there's no obligation to swear. Ha Kalim Vikalim, Dumia the Kalim Vikarkois. But if let's say we would have a case of utensils and utensils, and it would be somehow similar to a case of utensils and a piece of land, Chayv, then there would be an obligation to swear in such a case. Now what's that case? Hey Chidami, Lav You could have a simple case that's comparable. When a person has a piece of land, and he admits that he owes that piece of land. So what he's saying in essence is, take your thing as is. The piece of land is always right in front of us, as opposed to a, a utensil, which doesn't per se have to be in front of us. So if we have a comparable case, where the person is admitting to part of the utensils that were borrowed. He says, you borrowed this utensil and that utensil. And he admits to one of the utensils. And it's similar to the case where he's admitting to a piece of land. Just like we're a piece of land, he can say to him, take your thing as is, it's right in front of us. So too, in regards to a case of utensil, so it would be a similar type of idea. We can deduce, hey lechayv. That in fact, when you say to him, take your thing as is, there is an obligation to swear on the other things. The Mar says, no, it's no proof. I'll tell you, that if you have a similar case where you have utensils and other utensils, and he's saying to him, take your utensils as is, which would be comparable, so there would be absolutely no obligation to swear in such a case. So why did we say a case, specifically, where you have utensils and a piece of land, which would seem to indicate that it's not true in regards to utensils and utensils? Don't make that mistake. This is what's coming to teach you. That when you admit to part of the utensils so then we will in fact obligate you to swear in regards to the piece of lands because once we're already making you swear in regards to some of the utensils we'll also make you swear in regards to the pieces of land Sukhmer says, wait, my Kamashman, what's it coming to teach you, Zaykikin? That we roll onto you another swear once we're already making you swear in regards to the utensils and say that you also have to swear in regards to a piece of land, Tanina. We actually said this in a Mishnah previously. That if you have a swear in regards to something which is a utensil, so it can force you to swear in regards to something which is a piece of land. Sukhmer answers, Over here, this is the main place where we learn it from. Over there, in that Mishnah where it mentions it, it was just mentioned by the way.